everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. All right, welcome back, everyone. Critical Care Scenarios. Um, we were thinking that for today, Brian and I would have a little chat about the topic of efficiency. And what I mean by efficiency is the uh, not how you get things done in the ICU or in medicine, uh, and not even really about how to do them well, but how to do them um, quickly. Because you know, for most of us, we tend to be pretty busy. I and mean, even if you're not always busy, there are times when you're busy. And what that means is it's hard to fit everything into your day and get things done in a timely manner. And, you know, doing that is, is kind of its own art. You know, there are, I think, a lot of people who are good at this job, but not particularly efficient, meaning they, you know, they take good care of patients, but not very, not very quickly. And at, at, at worst, it means things get delayed. We've always talked about how important it is to get things done in a kind of timely manner to move it along. But at worst, uh, for their own sakes, it just means that they're, you know, stuck around an hour past their shift writing notes or something like that. Just kind of dumb stuff like that that maybe impacts them personally. And uh, I think some of this is some of this is a personality thing. Some people are just better at being efficient. They have kind of organized minds. They're good at, you know, streamlining things and just kind of banging through them. Uh, some people not so much, but some of it for sure is also learnable. And that's, you know, what I figured we could get into. What are the, what are the tricks? What are the, the methods, um, principles, techniques that kind of help, help you move things along and get through your day? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, like, like you said, some people are just efficient. Um, but very rarely do I find that that's what makes the difference. I, I am not, I think, by nature, super efficient. Um, I have times where I am, but I think mostly my efficiency is a learned thing. And I think you're right. There definitely are things you can do to get the work done faster and more efficiently. Yeah. And, you know, we can get into some specific things, but I, I think some principles that apply here are, um, number one, you will only ever be as efficient as you are either forced to be or make an effort to be. In other words, we all kind of develop our workflows as a, uh, an evolutionary process when you're learning how to do your job. Once you learn how to do it, you will then learn to how to do it as efficiently as, as you need to. So if you have, say, uh, for a given task, you have an hour to do it, you will learn how to do it within an hour. If the first time you do it, you're rushed and you're looking like an hour, 10 minutes, then you find out ways to save time. But once you're doing it in 58 minutes, you may continue to do it that way forever. So that's what you are forced to do. If you want to do it even more efficiently, and I would argue that you should, you should find ways to be better so that you, you're not up at the line there. You do it in 30 minutes, and now you have more time to do other things. You have, you have a buffer. You have space. You're not rushed. But also, when something else comes up, you got time for that too. If you don't have any, it's like the guy who shows up for his shift, one minute to spare. Yeah, he's on time. But what if there was an accident? Then he wouldn't be. Um, so then you have to kind of make an effort because nature won't make that happen. You need to look for ways to streamline things, do them faster. And I think, you know, the best way to do that would be to have a guy follow you around with a stopwatch and, you know, make a timeline of everything you do. And then you can look and say, wow, I didn't realize I was routinely spending all this time on this or on that. Clearly, that's where the money is here. That's what I could save time on. You know, in lieu of that, you need to do it yourself. Um, and it can be hard to appreciate what those things are, uh, even if you try, but certainly if you don't. Because a lot of the, the inefficiencies in your day are just the dumbest stuff. It's like waiting for something else, um, looking for something or for someone, just these little interstitial things. And, if, you know, you got to go and look for those, like, like aggressively. <laughs> yeah. You're, you know, I think you're right. Time or, or work, rather, expands to fill the void of time, right? Um, I remember reading a study years ago where, not a medical study, but a study of business and efficiency. And some big corporation, I want to say Best Buy maybe, anyway, they found out that if they said to their employees at corporate headquarters, hey, you don't have any set work hours anymore. 
you come in whenever you want to work unless you have a job that has to interact with the public during certain hours or you have meetings with other people you have to coordinate you can come in at two in the morning if that's your thing and you here's your work that you got to get done and when you're done with it you can you can get out and they found that most people could come in and get an entire eight hour day's worth of work done in about four to six hours because they were motivated now right because they, they knew that hey it's a gorgeous day outside and if i get done I can go to the park with my dog and play Frisbee rather than sitting in an office. So let's get done. And they found that people were more efficient and they found that people, a lot of it was these little things that we don't think about, like, you know, well, I'm going to check my email or I'm going to, you know, sit and chat about this because I've got time. I'm here all day anyway. Right. To some extent, you can become more efficient at doing things without any loss to the quality of it. It's, it's truly about finding waste and uh, streamlining things you're doing anyway. And then to some extent, there is a trade-off. To some extent, doing things faster or more efficiently does mean doing them less well. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do that. There is an appropriate balance between speed and goodness um, because you don't always need to do everything as perfectly as possible. That's just not how most things are. Sometimes you want to lean towards that direction. Sometimes it really is just about getting it done quickly. And most of the time it's some balance of them. So efficiency is both those things. It's getting rid of the needless waste, but also knowing how to find the right balance between, you know, quality and, and quickness. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said about, you know, the guy who shows up one minute before work. I think there's a lot to be said for efficiency in the ICU that way, because the ICU is a world that we doesn't run on a fixed schedule, right? And so if you take the approach of, well, I'm here for 12 hours and I have this many patients, so I have this many notes to write and I have you know, this many procedures to do, um, I can afford to be less efficient, whether that's just, I'm going to take my time, I'm going to waste time, I'm going to write a note that I'm going to check my Twitter or whatever and kill some time. But you never know what's going to happen, right? And And so I try to get all my stuff done as fast as I can so that worst case scenario, I'm sitting around all afternoon with nothing to do. Best case scenario, when the three admissions come within 30 minutes, like they did for me last week, I'm free to handle three admissions without constantly thinking of, God, I still have four more notes to write in the back of my head. Right. Yes. So the the last kind of principle I think is important is recognizing that efficiency is a... Um, it is. It does not respect or care about how important things are or how significant they are. It is really just about time. So if your goal is to streamline things and get them done faster, the most important aspect of that is just how long they take. So if you had that guy who was helping you do the, the time study um, and then you looked at your timeline, you shouldn't look at it and say, well, this part was a, a big part of my day. Hey, I, I saved this guy's life or whatever. You should just look and say, how long did everything take? Mm -hmm. And the things that take the longest are the, the most value, the lowest hanging fruit for making you more efficient. So I figure if we can talk about ways to save time, that's the way to look at it. Look at the things that actually just take the most time routinely in a day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that for me, and of course, it, everyone's workflow is different. But I think if you have a a model in your unit and your workflow where you where you write notes routinely, like you do certainly progress notes for the patients you're following, I think in most cases that ends up taking a, a large part of your day. That's just one of the the most time consuming things. Like if you weren't doing that, it would be a whole different ball game. <laughs> So, you know, I was thinking about ways to speed that up. And I think the most important thing, talking about, okay, you could, like we said, there's a balance. You can always do a worse note faster. Yeah, sure. And there is something to that. <laughs> like, if you I need to save time, no time, do not, <laughs> yeah, do not, do not write the most flawless, like, you know, Shakespearean note, because that will take longer. And it is not necessary. Now, there may be some value to it, mm -hmm. but not so much that you should spend four hours on it unless you only have one note and nothing else to do. Right. So there is a balance there. Uh, but you know, the, the part that's just about waste, I think is really about um, figuring out your process. You know, most of us use some kind of a, a template 
something kind of pre-filled to write notes. And you should really look at those and aggressively try to perfect them. Whatever it is that you write in most of your notes, and they are usually formulaic, set, set up a template so that it has all of that in there. Mm-hmm. You should not be redoing something that you routinely do. It should already be done. And then as you rattle through it, look for the, time, the, the moments that you're wasting. When you have to click multiple times, when you have to fill something in, it delete something, it should already be gone. Try to find a way that you can just blast through this and only do what what needs to be done. And if you want to spend time on something, you have more time to do that. But the stuff that just has to be done is as fast as possible. And I think you'll realize if you really look at your process that there are there are a million of those opportunities because our EMRs and systems now are just kind of complex things. So you're doing a lot of like, well, every time I write a note, I delete this part, I copy this part and paste it in, and then I reformat this, and then I have to click here, 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 here. You can definitely do that better. The tools are usually there. You just have to make the effort of, of applying them. And that does mean investing that time, you know? You find a moment when it's there's slow, heck, maybe even on your own time, and you you kind of fiddle with these things so that when you do have to get work done, then it's that much faster. Yeah, there's definitely upfront investment in doing that. But yeah, dot phrases. I don't know if that's universal terminology, but that's what we call them. Uh, I had a resident that worked with me one time who was the master of this. He could write notes in no time, which is really no... F- mean feet for a resident. They're typically slower anyway. But it was because he had all these dot phrases that literally everything we would encounter, he had a dot phrase for. And so when you'd go to write your problem list, you know, the patient has AFib, he would write dot AFib, and it would, boom, drop in this chunk of text that would cover everything he needs for AFib. And he can just fill in the blanks, right? The the little details, you know, rate slash rhythm control, delete, delete rate control, we're going to rhythm control using amiodarone slash beta blocker slash whatever, you know, and he just deletes the part that doesn't apply. And he could do this for everything in his note. He would write almost nothing using the actual keyboard. It was almost always just dot this and his mouse. The other thing that's nice about that, besides being efficient is, especially for new providers, it helps you to structure your thoughts and it structures your day, right? Maybe you don't remember everything that we normally do when you admit a new subarachnoid hemorrhage, but when you type .sah and it populates that thing, you go, oh, right, I got to remember to do that and this. Yeah, which which kind of reveals an interesting reality, which is that efficiency and um, uh, kind of ease of, of use go hand in hand in a way that you might not think. You might think efficiency is can be harder, but when things are efficient, they're actually easier to do, and even when it's whatever, 2 a.m. and you're busy and you're tired, uh, processes that are efficient tend to also be ones that are easy to rattle through because they're, they're almost semi-automated. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the only caveats there, I think, are, you know, if you're relying a lot on things that are sort of automated in documentation, like pre-filled things, already written stuff, um, you can go overboard. If you try to pre-establish too much, then you end up having to change it, delete it, remove it for a lot of patients. And I always find that is not worth it. You, yeah. You'd spend more time doing that than if you had just left it to as a, a blank, sort of. Um, and of course, you, can, you could go so far that you have documentation that is like, sort of unreadable because it's just all right. formulaic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you probably see notes like that. And that's probably not what you're going for. Yeah. Um, you know, some of this is just that it's so easy to add like filler when it's just, you know, part of your process that you just put it all in there. You're like, well, I'll just put in for every patient that I'm going to do like all this stuff that is either obvious or only semi applies. So, you know, this is the balance part of it. Yeah. And I would say that brings me to sort of my next tip with efficiency with writing notes is to write your notes in a way that it is, and this is going to sound weird, but I, I like to say my notes are specifically vague, right? So I put in, I don't put a ton of really tight detail in my assessment and plan, right? In my notes, automatically populated by the EMR is a list of their meds. I don't need to then repeat that I'm going to you know, that this is the med at this dose, right? I might say continue metoprolol, but I'm not going to say continue metoprolol at 12.5 milligrams Q6 hours IV. You know, that's available elsewhere. So then tomorrow, when I increase the metoprolol, I just change continue to increase. And I don't have to fill in all the details of the the dose, right? Um, 
I don't say things like today or tomorrow because then I have to hunt through every note when stuff gets copied forward to make sure that that's not today and tomorrow anymore. I put in, you know, uh, metoprolol increased 9-11. So then that's always true, right? If, the, if you're reading a note that I wrote on 9-17, it's still true that the metoprolol was increased on 9-11. And what you're relying on for a lot of that is that it's it's elsewhere in the chart. Yeah. Like you, right. Why say something that's why elsewhere? Duplicate Which applies efforts. to a lot of stuff. People pipe in all kinds of information or they rewrite things that were in labs and stuff. Yeah, and I, do you need to do that? Yeah, I don't put it. I know I see people all the time who write things like Echo uh, 915 shows and they write this huge thing, sometimes even copying and pasting the entire Echo impression. I sum it up. Echo shows you know, uh, normal, normal LVEF, uh, no yeah, clots. It's, it's good. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, echo. Okay. Even right. Um, I learned a lot of this from we, when we were around with the transplant team, the transplant attendings write their notes real time while we're rounding. And so they pull up the residence note and write their part and they write stuff like that all the time, like labs. Okay. <laughs> you know? And at first I thought, well, that's, that doesn't seem like enough. But then, like you said, it's elsewhere in the chart. Right? Why duplicate something that's already there? Right. So speaking of documentation, uh, let me get your take on this. You have, let's say, let's say you have six notes to write today. Three of those notes are people who are just kind of hanging out. You haven't done a lot for them. They don't need a lot. They're pretty easy to write. You can knock them out in no time. The other three are more complicated. They're going to take you some time. You write the easy ones first or the hard ones first? Yeah, great question. This also applies if you're like pre-rounding, getting ready to see patients before you round, and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of rushed. Do I do I do the complex stuff first, or I try to do the easy stuff first because um, I know that the harder stuff is the most prone to you know expand your contraction to fill any amount of space. And if I let that happen early, then there's a good chance that some of the small stuff I won't get to at all. Yeah. So at least if I knock them out, then the the part that is incomplete is, is like isolated to one thing. <laughs> yeah. I am in the same way. I also like, uh, having stuff checked off, right? So if I can check three boxes in 20 minutes versus one in 20 minutes, I feel like I've done more today. So I feel like I'm further along. I don't feel the stress like, Oh my gosh, I still have four notes to write. I mean, it doesn't matter in the moment that I know that three of those four notes I can do in five minutes. It's not a big deal. Right. Now, I do have colleagues who do the exact opposite. They do their big notes first with the thought of if the day falls apart and I have a colleague who's not busy who will offers to help, I can say, hey, yeah, do you care? Can you just write a note on Mr. Jones in 211? I didn't do anything for him today. It's just, you know, just write a simple note. Versus I can't farm out the note of the guy that I spent 120 minutes at his bedside, doing critical care time and adjusting everything. It's too complicated. No, but you, know? you can make it, if you had to, you could write it pretty quickly. Like you could just bang through the important stuff or you could stretch it out to two hours. Well, yeah, what I'm saying is I can't farm that out. Like if somebody says, hey, I'm not doing sure. anything, can I write a note for you? Sure. But I'm like yeah. you, I like to get the little stuff out of the way. I also have found that when you're really trying to hone down on getting a note done faster, um, the time you spent formatting it, meaning getting everything where you want it and sort of looking at organized can be like three quarters of the time. And there is a trade-off here. Like a more organized note is a lot easier to read, but you, it is can be a real time sink. So some of this mm -hmm. you can get get through with your, your templating and stuff so it's already done. But some of it is how you organize it. You know, the... Um, I recently started a new job and one of the things they tend to do with their notes that I actually like it a lot because it makes it a lot faster is that instead of organizing your plan by systems and then within each system, maybe having a problem and then for each of those you have a plan, which is what I used to tend to do. And it is organized, um, but all that, those like uh, layers, those <laughs> the, this kind of strata make it more time consuming. They tend to you know open their plan with the, the active problems that you're actually managing. So that maybe two or three things that are actually an issue for the patient. And then you just kind of talk about those, kind of their impression of them in the general picture. 
And then each system can be more of just bullet points about the more checkboxy things. Specifically, what are we doing? Stop this, start that, you know, taper that, um, and those like housekeeping things that you just have to mention. But because they're just bullet points and you don't have to really talk about even the diagnosis um, within those areas, they're really fast. Um, and it puts what's actually important up front, which is actually better for you and for people reading it. Um, I find that has actually been a good time saver. Anytime you can just do like bullet points on something, that's always fastest. It's just you lose something in readability if you're not um, doing something like this where you get to some place to talk about what's actually happening. Um, I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I, and that goes to another thing that I do. We write ours all problem-based. Um, that's just how our group does it. And so we all stick to the same pattern. Um, but one thing that I don't like about that is this duplication of things sometimes, right? So you have this problem and you write a little blurb about it, including your plan. And then you have another problem that, I mean, is almost the same thing, right? Your plan's kind of the same. So what I will do frequently is I'll say, you know, for example, acute respiratory failure. And I have my little dot phrase that I put in that talks about their mechanical ventilation and blah, blah, blah. And I'm also going to put in that uh, they had a sputum culture that was positive for gram-negative rods, and I've got them on this antibiotic for this amount of time, and their chest x-ray shows this today, and their bronch showed that yesterday. And then when I get down to the next problem, which is pneumonia, I say, see acute respiratory failure. The end. I don't feel the need to duplicate any of that down there just because it's a different problem. Uh, what I also have found is that this kind of starts to overlap with the question of how you prepare for your rounds, see your patients pre-rounds, people would say. Um, if you're just kind of going over the chart, seeing your patient, this can overlap with the writing of your note in different ways. And if you really are trying to be efficient, you should probably only ever look at things once. Meaning if you're preparing what you're going to talk about and what you know about the patient, and let's say you're making notes about it somewhere, that's information you're later going to write in a note. In, you know, in your EMR, maybe you should just combine those. So you put the information directly into your note and then you use that as a reference when you're rounding, you know? Yeah. Um, you could do it other ways, but realize that you're going to end up doing a lot of things twice. And if you're that busy, then you may not have time for that, you know? So in that applies to, you know, say you're, you're seeing a new patient, you're figuring out what's wrong with them, and then you're going to have to write a note about it. Maybe you don't spend half an hour looking everything's over and like rolling it around in your head, figuring out what's wrong, and then you go and document it. Open a note right now and start dumping information in as you look through it. That way you don't have to look at it, understand it, and then go look at it again so you can put it into documentation. Yeah. Some of our resident teams, their rounds tend to be a lot longer because there's a lot of teaching going on, and they'll drag laptop uh, computers around with them on the computer on wheels situations. And they'll have a setup where, you know, uh, resident A is presenting the patient to the attending and they're talking about it. Well, resident B is writing the note, essentially, you know, putting it all in the EMR so that when they're done with rounds, when they go back to write notes, it's essentially done. The resident A just pulls up the note that someone else has filled in all the stuff they discussed on rounds. They kind of double check it, make sure it's all good, write the narrative at the beginning, clean it up, doom, save it. Um, and that, that can be super efficient. Now, I personally, I don't do that because our rounds are non-teaching rounds. They tend to be a lot faster and it, it would just be less, it'd be less efficient for me to do it that way, uh, because we spend a couple of minutes with each patient and that's it. Um, but I think right. if you're spending a lot of time talking about a patient, each patient rounds are lasting for multiple hours. It's not a bad way to do things. Just have a couple of computers and take yeah. turns when you're not presenting, be the one to write all the stuff in the note. We've talked a lot about notes and we've maybe given the impression that that's all we do all day is write notes. And that's what it feels like sometimes. But what about the rest of your day? How do you be efficient in things that are not documentation? What about, um, let's talk about procedures, because these are things that can soak up a lot of time as well. And it, it just, it's the kind of thing that you know that if you're doing it, it potentially can soak up the next you know hour or two, even if it's something pretty straightforward. Um, what I have found is that you know if you were doing that theoretical time study, let's say you're going to go place some kind of a line in a patient. The critical step of that where you like, you know, access a vessel and put something in literally might take 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's nothing. Um, but 
from start to end, the procedure might take you over an hour. And a lot of that time was finding things, like getting equipment together, and sort of set up and break down kind of stuff. And I think there is a lot of room here to streamline processes. And a lot of it depends on your local situation. But if you really look, the opportunities are there. So, you know, how can you speed up getting together stuff and not having to go hunt it around? You know, ideally, everything you needed to do a procedure would be already made into like a kit. You just go get it, bring it to the patient, do it. And usually there are some kits for these things, but usually they also don't include everything. Yeah. <laughs> for various logistical reasons, you have to get something out. You need to get some gloves and flushes and hats and whatever else. And that, you know, on the back end, they could probably make it better, but you got to deal with what you have. So what else can you do? Sometimes they put stuff into like a cart. So then at least it's, you can roll that to the bedside. You may or may not still forget stuff. You know, if you have time, you know, on, again, some downtime, you may be able to assemble your own like kits of things. You know, you know that for a certain procedure, you need this, this, and this, and they're all in whatever random different places. Go and get them and put them together and like make a bundle or put them in a bag or something. And then they're kind of together when you need them. Now you have to kind of work with your setup. They don't want to get in trouble because you're like stockpiling equipment in your locker or something. But there may be something you can do here. And especially when some of the things you need are, you know, your logistics people wouldn't even call it equipment. Like, you know, I always need like a, a towel or a, like a chuck for this. And it's, it's just like one of those things that you have to go and like find or get. And it, those seconds or minutes, those are what add up. So that's like part of my collection of things here. Yeah. Or now the other way you save time here is by making someone else do it. So you may be able to have a, a nurse or someone get stuff together for you. How much of that is done, I find, is, is kind of cultural. How much people can help you out, and then you just pop in and get it done versus um, people expect you to do your own shit. I would expect to clean up after yourself. Absolutely. It's, um, a slippery slope if you start asking people. Like, Absolutely. I have nurses all the time offer to clean up, uh, and I usually tell them no unless I'm really in a hurry. Uh, because, yeah, I don't want to – because I feel like for me – if, you know, if they are genuine and say, I'll take care of that. And I say, oh, sure. Thanks. Even I'm going to eventually fall into the habit of making that a habit. And I don't want to be that guy. Um, you know, I learned a couple of tricks about this when we started doing pick lines, we don't do very many pick lines anymore because our vascular access team is pretty good. Um, but for a while they were real shorthanded and it would take days to get a pick line. So we all got certified to do pick lines and we went and trained with the vascular access nurses and one of the things that they showed me is they would, at the start of the day, the, you know, they pull a list. I'm going to do four pick lines this morning, and here's where they are. And they would order them like, you know, well, this one's the closest to my office, and this one's the farthest away. And so I you know, a little map out. But they'd go to the supply room, and they'd get these bags, those patient belonging bags that you put everybody's clothes and stuff in. And they would load up everything they needed for that first pick in that bag, and tie it up, hang it on the back of the ultrasound machine go to the second one so that they would, you know, you get there and they don't have to go to the individual supply room on the unit and find all their random things that all be packaged together. So it's kind of like what you're saying. They're doing it in a planned way. Like, here's what I'm going to do today, as opposed to, like you said, squirreling stuff away in your desk or your office. Um, but uh, yeah, when you can have a pre-made kit, it's certainly helpful. Um, you can use so like unbelievable amount of time, not just finding stuff, but then you forget this and that, and then you're like going to do it. And then you're like, uh, can you go and find me this? And then it's not you. So it takes even longer because they have to go find the thing and they can't find it. Like, like if you literally had everything in one place, it'd be just a world apart. Yeah. Um, and speaking of getting other people to get stuff for you, like you said, that's a little bit cultural, but also, you know, I have found that there's times that, yeah, I get in and I'm draped and scrubbed up and starting a procedure and realize that I don't have the thing I need. And so I have to get somebody to go get it for me. And a lot of the times these are things that nurses don't deal with. The respiratory therapists don't know this stuff. You know, they, you say, go get me a, uh, go get me a J wire they might know what you're talking about, but I've had a lot of times nurses come back with the short wire for the A line instead of the long wire that I need for the deep line. And I mean, that's not their fault. They don't know the difference. They don't know which one I want. So it is better a lot of times if you can get it yourself or if you can, if it's something you do frequently, if you can teach people what you want, 
Um, you know, I have a couple of nurses who now know, you know, when I, when they call me and say, can you come put a deep line in a patient? When I get there, they have size eight gloves laying out because they know that I wear size eight gloves. Um, but that's a pretty rare treat, you know? Um, and again, it's not their job to know my stuff and to get my things for me. They're not my ballet, but it's super helpful when they can. Other things that I've found can really soak up time are, um, I always found that suturing can be a big part of things, even if you're pretty good at suturing, but something like a center line, we, ugh, God, like an arterial line, like a radial, <laughs> you tiling onto those like tiny little nooks. And especially like when you've already, you know, hooked up to a line and then you got to work around it and make sure you don't pull it out. When I really started looking at this, I realized that was like half of the time of something. So I started, um, using more and more, you know, sutureless securing devices, you know, sticky stat lock kind of things mm-hmm. are often called. You can talk about whether they're, you know, good or bad things. I think it depends on the patient. But if you can, it, you really save a lot of time. Um, and also not having to work around your line. So putting just some kind of a, a cap or something or a, like an extension onto those lines, um, rather than hooking them right to your transducer, if you are going to suture, it makes it a lot quicker because there's it's open-ended. Uh, it's not going to bleed on you. You don't have to worry about that. But that speeds it up a lot. Um, and then the other time saver for that sort of thing, you know, it's so common that you're doing a couple procedures at once, maybe a central line and arterial line, you know. Again, most of the time is getting stuff together, getting it ready, and getting sterile. So those are shared processes. So don't do it twice, you know. Mm-hmm. Set up drape and use the same equipment for both lines. You know, if you're doing a central line, all right, do everything first. But if you're doing like a radial A line, I'll prep that arm, I'll secure it in place, um, and then I'll drape it under the same drape. And then after the central line, I'll maybe cut a little hole in it, reprep that skin, and then just do the A line. I already have suture, lidocaine, everything except the actual device. So you actually save equipment. <laughs> it's efficient that way. And you don't need to set all that stuff up. Um, so that literally would take a minute or something. Whereas if it was a separate procedure, it would take almost as long as the central line had taken. Yeah. Um, I say this a lot when we talk about doing procedures and teaching procedures, but I think it's certainly worth mentioning for efficiency too, is do the same thing the same way every time if you can. You know, if you're, if you're doing the procedure exactly the same way, then you don't have to stop to think about little things. You don't have to stop to check little things. You know, for example, putting in a central line, I always flush the line and cap the two non-distal ports. You know, leave the distal port open for the wire, but cap the other two to begin with. That's how I always do it. Um, I had a resident tell me one time, well, if I'm in a hurry, I won't, I won't do that. I'll just put it in and then aspirate blood flush and cap when I'm done. Well, to me, that's counterintuitive. That, that doesn't make sense to me because if I'm in a hurry, I want it to be as simple and straightforward as I can. And to me, that's muscle memory, right? If my fingers just put caps on the end of the line every time, I don't have to worry about, did I flush the line? Did I aspirate blood this time? It's done the same way every time. and just eliminates a step for me. I, I sort of agree with a couple caveats. I know a lot of people view it that way. Um, but what I found was if you have sort of your your two models, the, the one perfect, like thoughtful, uh, ca- cautious, you know, in this case, so like a line, um, and then your one like crash emergent line, you got to get in a minute or two. Now, whether you should be doing a lot of these in this modern era is another question. But if you try to convert those into just the same process, I just, I always found that it made the the slow line too sloppy and the quick line too slow. Um, so I, I do like having a couple approaches, but you can still, you just kind of make it two different procedures. This mm. is how I do my slow one. Yeah. And then this is how I do my fast one. Um, and then you can still do those in pretty much shared ways. The other caveat is that um, if it's a matter of something like, like setting stuff up, and a lot of this is just, you have like a kit and you're just working through and each like item in there you have to do something with. You got to prepare it, aspirate something out, throw something away, put it to a certain place, whatever. Like 70% of the time that a lot of like learners spend doing this, they just spend kind of picking through it and like 
picking stuff up and looking at it and putting it down because they don't really know what they want to do next. Or they do, they want to do like a certain thing, not because they have to do that now, but that's just what came to their mind. So they're like looking for that. But in reality, it doesn't matter what order you prepare most of these things. You just have to do them. Mm. So, you know, what I tell them is if you touched it, just deal with that thing. That's the next thing to deal with. And mm. whatever comes mm. under your hand, that's it. So you toss it or you use that thing or you prepare it. And that way, you just go through everything from like one end to the other, and then it's done. Um, whereas it's counterintuitively, if they had a specific order for it, it might take them longer because they're like, well, this is lidocaine. That's not what I want. And I was looking for my guide wire here. Okay, here's finally the guide wire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the only times you have to do that are when you have something that requires you to find something else to combine it. Like, here's my lidocaine. All right, now I need like a syringe to draw it up. Then you have to go find it. But yeah, that's, you know, kind of the rule I tell people. But of course, for something like that, you're still using a system. The system is touch everything once and then address it. Yeah. You just don't care what order. Yeah. Um, I think there can, you know, you mentioned that something that made me think of another thing. There can be a downside to using kits as well if you're not the one that built the kit. Um, so, for example, we have a commercially available A-line kit that we use that includes betadine swab sticks that we don't use. It includes a dressing that we don't use. It includes, um, you know, two or three other things that we don't use. And so that's more stuff I have to dig through and throw away to get to the stuff that I actually use, right? Um, I have to get chlorhexidine sticks separately because they're not in the kit. I have to get a separate dressing because it's the one that our hospital wants. Um, And so I end up having extra stuff that I have to throw away, which is wasteful anyway, but also it takes time because I have to dig through. So potentially kits are not 100% more efficient there is some inefficiencies in them if they're not the kit that if you didn't design the kit yourself yeah and what i think that kind of shows which is a more general rule is that again paradoxically if you have a a rigorous process and kind of a algorithm or workflow for doing things if you're if you're stuck to that and you can't have flexibility it can again actually make things take longer you know it's like um if you're cooking, you're in your kitchen and you have a, a recipe and you're doing things, a lot of cooking is waiting, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's only a minute or two for something to simmer or whatever. Um, so it, to be efficient, you would do something else in that time, right? Wash a pan or prepare something else. But if you really want to do A, then B, then C, you can't. You really are just waiting. And, you know, much the same in whatever, your, your work day. Getting things done quickly means not wasting time, and that may mean doing this. The next thing I, I can't do quite yet, but I could squeeze something else into here. Mm-hmm. And you do things maybe out of order or combine them, um, and that does require some flexibility of of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, you know, within reason it doesn't mean in the scent middle of your sterile procedure you know, run off and make a phone call if you don't absolutely have to, because then you, you know it's probably not good for the patient. But to the extent you can do those things, you know, you squeeze it all together so it. it you know, packs in with less, less dead space. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk about the thing that I think ends up sucking the most of my time out of the day, and that's communication. Uh, whether I'm calling a consult or talking to a primary service or, you know, I need to let you know this that happened so I can, I need you to tell me this so I can know what to do next, or uh, I need to call a family member or whatever. You know, a lot of this stuff ends up eating into your time. But even more than that, a lot of it, like I said, you need to talk to someone before you do X. So how's the best way to handle communication in a way that doesn't end up slowing down your day? I find that there are some aspects of communication that are inevitably slow. Um, And then there are some that are inevitably slow. And so looking for the, when, okay, yes, I needed to get in touch with this person. And then if you look back in retrospect, what are the things that made that end up taking way too long? And a lot of the time it is um, missing each other. Like say you page somebody or call them and they call you back and they didn't get you. Mm-hmm. Well, now you got to start over, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, make sure that doesn't happen. Let's say you page somebody, give them a number that you know they'll reach you at. You know, if you give them your desk phone, but you know you're going to be up and down, you may not get them. Maybe you give them, you know, your cell phone. Or maybe you know that getting a hold of them is a process. You have to like call their office and get them paged to you or something. Maybe someone else can do that. Maybe you can have, you know, the unit secretary make the call or something like that. 
you know, what are the steps of this that you don't actually have to do and you can farm out? And what are the steps of this that um, there's, there's room for, for wasted time there? And like you were saying, is holding up other things. What are the steps that need to be delayed for something? And what are the steps you could do now? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to do a procedure, but I have to talk to a consultant. Well, maybe I can get stuff ready. Maybe I can consent the patient now or something. And then it's just really a matter of flying through it later, you know? Yeah. Well, so the other thing I think that's important about efficiency and communication, and this goes for putting in orders too, which we can talk about next, is know what it is that's going to hold you up later on, right? So if, for example, I need to talk to Renal to find out their plan before I can do X, Y, and Z, well, then I should call Renal early in the day, right? Don't put calling people off for the afternoon, uh, you know, when I'm when I get a minute to sit down, right? Prioritize that because you know, it's going to take a while. It's going to, I'm going to have to hear back. Uh, see also putting in discharge notes or uh, transfer to that floor notes orders, right? Is, you know, there's a process involved. Um, we tend to say things like, um, you know, I have a patient who's on the ventilator who did okay on pressure support today, wasn't really ready to extubate. I'll tell the night team, please make sure that they are on pressure support so that when I come in at six, they have already done a pressure support trial. And if they're ready to extubate, we get them extubated because otherwise it ends up me coming in at six, getting sign out, pre-rounding, going around and looking at them. Now it's close to seven. Hey, they look good. Can we try them on pressure support? Great. Then the RT is busy getting their report. So it's eight o'clock before they get on pressure support. And then 30 minutes later, I'm tied up with something. I can't come and look at them. And now it's lunchtime and they haven't been extubated yet. Little things add up. And so if you prioritize getting the ball rolling, uh, like you said, then while you're doing other things, those things that need to happen can happen. Yeah, and what you're saying is that some things are quick, some things take a long time, and the long time stuff you should start earlier. But specifically, some stuff, the time it takes is out of your hands. Right. Some, and that's the most important to get rolling soon. Uh, first of all, because you don't have to attend to it while it's happening. It happens in the background. But also because you don't know how long it'll take. Stuff that is takes time but is totally in your hands, you have some control over. You could rush it, expedite it if you had to. But if it literally is like waiting for someone to call you or waiting for a patient to get a bed or something, you can't make it go any faster. So start that as soon as possible. So there's as much time as possible for it to be slow. Right. It goes back to your cooking example, right? If I, if I do all the cooking and then do the dishes at the end, then uh, it's going to take me longer than if I do the cooking. And then while I'm waiting five minutes for the water to boil, I wash this dish and put it away. Then by the time I'm done, I'm almost done with everything. Or, you know, the example of when you get to work, you know, like I always try to get to work a little early, but the longer your your commute, the earlier you have to be because the more opportunity for things outside of your control. Yeah. Right. And then the closer you get to actually being there, the, um, the less likely something will happen. So if you arrive at work 10 minutes early, you don't have to like run in. I mean, you could dawdle. There's very little that could happen between now and then. Right. But if you have to commute 30 miles, there could be a traffic jam that's 20 minutes long. You, you don't want to squander your, your time yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what about orders? I think that's the other thing we do a lot. Uh, any tips that you got to share with folks about being more efficient at putting in orders? That's a great one. I didn't even think of that because that's a great example of, I think we don't even recognize how much time we waste sometimes. There, there are a lot of technical aspects to this, like ways to streamline this built into your software that you're probably not making use of. And th- I mean, literally this may be, there are probably people at your hospital who could help you out with it. who could show you how to do stuff that you never bothered to do, or you could figure it out on your own. But there are um, uh, macros and favorites and things that you could save for stuff you do a lot. Um, there are often shortcuts for things like that you can save you clicks. You could use your keyboard stuff that you do a lot. Um, there are order sets for things. It's hard to say what will be quickest for you, but the first step is looking at what do you do a lot and what takes the longest. And a few things may take an absolutely disproportionate amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like if you have to order like a a taper some kind of prolonged like steroid taper where there's like 10 orders involved. Um, If you ever have to do that, 
save it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> make it pre-build it once and then make it so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. And then there's a lot of things that just like take some time and whether it's like ordering morning labs for people or um, you may just find that specific orders are because of how they built them in your system are particularly obnoxious, even if it's something that doesn't have to be that way. How can you fix that? You know, how can you deal with that particular issue so that every time you do it is not like a headache? Yeah. So a great example of that, our old EMR system, our new one seems to be much better, but our old EMR system, for some reason, ordering an amp of bicarb was ridiculous. I mean, it was never intuitive. You you couldn't, you had to remember, well, what is it again? How do we do this? And then what do we do? So I had an order set for bicarb and you just type in bicarb and it would pull up and it, oh, well, here's my options, drip, push, you know, whatever, oral, and you just click. One of the things I do now a lot is, especially when I do nights, which I don't do a ton of nights, but I am getting ready to do a bunch coming up and I'm getting ready for this, is I have the EMR app on my phone and also my iPad, although I tend to not use my iPad as much. Um, but during the day when I walk around, sometimes I'll put in orders on my phone. But at night when I'm putting in orders, it tends to be more kind of emergency or quasi-emergency things. So I have that same sort of setup like the resident had with his dot phrases for different um, problems. You know, I have an AFib order set. So if I get a call, hey, this patient's an AFib, I go to the bedside, hey, they sure are. Open up the AFib order set, there's EKG, there's lights, there's metoprolol. You just click, 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 done. Uh, this patient spiked a fever. Great, I have a fever order set, you know, that has Tylenol and it has, uh, you know, uh, blood cultures and antibiotics and all that stuff right there. Um, so I think you can potentially, and again, these are all sort of technical things. Like you said, you might have to work with your IT people to set it up, but uh, potentially ways that you can streamline ordering things that you order frequently, things that are a pain to order, or things that you might need in a hurry even if it's not particularly hard to order, uh, if you need them in a hurry, you just don't want to have to worry about it. Just click and done. Yeah, and it, it's like you're saying, it, it may take some time or effort to deal with these. Um, but it blows my mind that people will, like, they'll spend a 30-year a career dealing with something that's obnoxious mm -hmm. rather than spend an hour, like, addressing it. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, preparing something or, I mean, there will be literally be times when you go to work and something is just like broken. Like your, whether it's like your, your like computer is not working right or like the, the phones or like some, or, you know, in the software, this order is clearly messed up. You know, this is not right or something. Maybe just fix it. Mm -hmm. Like call somebody, email someone, like put the process in motion to deal with it. Or, you know, when it's about getting your processes right, you know, whatever it is to do, you know, talk to the experts, figure something out, just like deal with the thing. Don't be like, I can deal with this. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to do that. But if you have the time, like, you know, look at something that's wrong and maybe your first thought could be to, to, to deal with the thing rather than, you know, preparing your mind to put up with it for the like, the rest of your career until like some force of nature fixes it for right. you. Like, yeah, you could do that, but maybe it's better to, it's, uh, what, what was, what's the old saying? Like if you have, um, uh, an hour to cut down a tree, you know, I, I'd spend 50 minutes sharpening my saw. Yeah. Like that, that is probably going to be a better investment of your time than using a dull saw the entire time. Cause not only might that take longer, but you're gonna be mad the whole time. Yeah. Oh Lord. All right. What else should we say about this? Um, oh, I, I, one other thing about procedures, you know, I, I always found that one of the biggest time sinks here was also, um, waiting for your like line to get like confirmed. So if you do chest x-rays for like, you know, IJ subclavians and stuff, which most places still do, how do you streamline that? Can you order your x-ray early? If you wait until you're done, then you got to wait for them to come. That might take forever. Can you order it when you're before you start? I mean, no rush, but or like in the middle, maybe you can like save an order and someone else can execute it, like the nurse. And if you get your timing just right, they show up right as you're done. Or even because the biggest time sink would be you x ray the thing and it's not where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Nothing will take up your time like having to reposition, retract, rewire the stupid thing. Maybe you can x ray it before you break down your sterile field. And then if you have to fix it, you can do it right now. Now, you can really get your timing right, so that's all what you're doing 
sort of fluoroscopy here. You can check it multiple times if you have to. Sometimes the x-ray techs don't like this. You might have to order it a bunch, but whatever. But you can imagine how much more streamlined your process would be than if every time this line wasn't positioned, you had to go and set up a whole new sterile field, which you would have to do if that was how you were going about. You could spend your whole day doing that. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never done that, but I do typically, um, I will, um, once the line is in and I get blood return and it flushes, uh, before I even start suturing or anything, I'll tell the nurse, hey, can you go ahead and call for x-ray? And so then I'm sewing and almost always by the time x-ray gets up there, I'm done. And the patients I've underaped because I don't, like I said, I'd never, never considered doing it like that before. Um, but they're ready to go. And so I can sit there, look at the x-ray on the, on the portable machine and go, yeah, it looks good. You're okay to use this line. And now I can go put the actual documentation in, but the nurse knows that she can go ahead and start using it. Um, it's good to go. Uh, I have had it happen where uh, the x-ray comes up while I'm still suturing because they're real, they happen to be up on the floor or whatever. Um, and usually I say, I'm almost done. I'm still so I'm tying the knot right now, you know, even if I'm just sticking this first suture needle in. Have them slip under your yeah. drape. That's what they do in the that's OR. That's a good idea. You know? I've never done and that And then that if it was not right, you could fix it right yeah, now. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. More tips. What else can we give people or general thoughts on this? I don't know. I just think, like I said, going back to what we said at the beginning, I think efficiency is underappreciated, I think, because, um, I don't know, because I think we're there all day anyway, and we just think more in terms of getting things done and less in terms of getting things done fast. Um, I do think that if listeners out there have worked in healthcare prior to becoming a practitioner, practitioner or provider, you know, whether you're an EMT or a nurse uh, or even a tech, like a lot of times we, we sell that short, but even if you're just like an aide in a hospital, somebody who, you know, takes blood sh sugars and things like that. Uh, I think you naturally sort of develop a little of this efficiency. Uh, most of mine, I think came from being an ER nurse uh, where you have to have, you know, all the plates spinning at once. Um, I'm sure you can relate to that in EMS. Um, you know, and I think the people that have the hardest time with it are people who come in who have never had to prioritize all those things before. And especially if they start a job where everything seems to be going great, there's really no need to rush. And then that day hits where you have to rush. And I've never been prepared to rush before. Yeah, the, the key principles here and the details how you do this are different for everyone are on the one hand, you need to make an intentional effort to be more efficient. Otherwise, you will only be as efficient as you're forced to be, and that won't be enough for, you know, when things are worse. Mm -hmm. And it is harder than it sounds. It is so easy to have a habit and then never deviate. Like I said, do it for 40 years, even though it's clearly the wrong way to do yeah. it. <laughs> and so, you know, invest in yourself in that way. And on the other hand, have the ability to sort of triage perfection. Know what needs to be done perfectly and what needs to be done more quickly, and in what ways can you... Uh, cut corners, if that's the right word. Because sometimes it's okay to cut corners. Yeah. And you need to know if and when you do that. If you if you are rigorous and inflexible about everything, you have very limited ability to um, you know, respond to dynamic situations and to fit stuff together. And you just you will end up being less efficient. Yeah. So I think you're uh, right. So efficiency is a learned pattern for the most part. And there's nothing wrong with being faster. And you're not sacrificing quality in the long run. Maybe, like you said, you're not doing it up to a thousand percent. But if you're doing the job appropriately, uh, maybe you don't need to all the flourishes on it um, if it helps save time in the long run. Yeah, or at least have both of those yeah. in your toolbox. All right, I think that'll do it for this topic. Um, we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks.